It's getting, it's getting late in the year already. Uh, and you're back with another episode of Kentucky Politics Weekly. Uh, this is Trey Watson, joined as always by Tom Stevens. Tom, how are you doing, my friend? I'm delightful, Trey. How are you doing today? Uh, you know, you generally are delightful, Tom. It's just, it's, that's the word I think, think comes to mind first when I think of you, delightful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, nobody in my household would agree with you on that. Uh, I don't think anybody in anybody's household right now would agree, would say anybody else. They're sharing space with is delightful. I think we're all getting tired of each other. But uh, we are joined on the line today by a uh, state Senate minority leader, a uh, friend of mine from Louisville, Mr. Uh, Senator Morgan McGarvey. Hey, Trey. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah. Uh, thanks for being with us. You know, I, I was telling Tom that we we're going to have you on, and I, I said, you know, so strangely, Morgan is actually the third member of his family that, that I met in chronological order. Uh, <laughs> Good, good friends with your sister for a while, and uh, met your dad actually at at, uh, at uh, one of your your sister's baby showers down here in Lexington. And I remember if I met you, I don't know if I, I remember where I first met you. It might have just been in Frankfurt, and we had both been told we should get together by your sister. Yeah, I, th I think you might be right about that. And um, I don't know if, I don't know if you knew this because I, I knew you were friends with Sarah, my, my sister's name. Um, she is due with her third child in June, which is kind of crazy. I, I, I think uh, one of our mutual friends had told us that, that she was she was uh, uh, she was expecting me again. You know, I, I'll tell you two funny stories about <laughs> about your family. Uh, the first one was when I went to your sister's wedding. I, I got there late. My wife was on call, so it was just me. And uh, I got stuck at the wedding behind, directly behind Rukash Orbzuk, the seven-foot former <laughs> basketball player, and could see nothing the, except for Rukash's head the entire wedding. <laughs> That's, that's exactly right. No, no, Wu was there, and I think is uh is married to one of Sarah's good friends from from college, in fact. So yeah, yeah he, he was there in, in Kentucky. In Kentucky news, Kentucky had another seven footer yesterday. So we'll I saw that, that from Wake Forest. That's uh, yeah, yeah, good good replacements since we're probably losing uh, Richards and Montgomery. Uh, another funny story: though, at your sister's uh, baby shower, your sister was like. Uh, my, my, my dad's coming. Would you mind? He's not going to know anybody. Would you mind kind of just talking to him for a while and making sure he's got somebody to talk to while he's here? <laughs> so we just kind of sat in the corner and talked politics for like two hours. <laughs> oh, that's fun. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. He, um, it, you know, it's one of the things about COVID-19 in some ways, you know, we talked to my parents more than we did before the virus hit. Um, you know, my kids probably FaceTime with them every day. Uh, you know, and so we have a lot more communication with them. But of course, in some ways, we feel further away from them. Uh, certainly, when I was coming to Frankfurt during the session, we would not go over there, um, even to a socially distanced point. And then, you know, we were in session till April 15th. So we did wait two weeks after that and stopped by their house this weekend and stayed outside and, and stayed away. But uh, yeah, so we talked to them a lot. But this is, you know, in COVID-19 world, it's hard on everybody. Yeah, we, we've been using the, uh, the Amazon uh, Echo Show, the, the Alexa device that has the, the, uh, the screen on it to, to do kind of camera chats with, with my mom. And because the kids will not talk on the phone, but you give them that, it's like they're talking on the TV and they'll, they'll do that one. Uh, no, that's exactly right. And, it's, um, it, and my mom has stepped up in a big way for us, uh, for the two older kids. We have, you know, we have twins who are in the second grade and then we've got a 21 month old uh, but mom actually does a story time every day with the uh, second graders and so 
I don't know what book they're on right now, but they read for about half an hour a day and she reads to them while the 21 month old takes a nap. And if nothing else, it gives us about a half an hour, at least one of us to try and, you know, reset the stage <laughs> while, while she's helping read to them. And it's, and it's a good thing for, for them as well. So yeah, it's been, it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing that we're communicating so much more with them than we would when, you know, everybody's lives are busy, but in some ways we also, you know, we see them a lot less and certainly don't get the personal interaction. You guys just missed an amazing moment actually here. So I've been relegated to the backyard because, uh, you know, my <laughs> 11-year-old has an important Zoom call right now. So any event, I, I'm out here, and uh, while you guys were discussing that, my dog actually was just throwing up some grass. I mean, it could have been like the absolute <laughs> best background moment for uh, Kentucky Politics Weekly of all time. <laughs> it was all I could do not to turn the mute off at that moment. Hey, saying, guys, so. look. <laughs> well, Morgan, uh, you know, <laughs> I know. I know. You said you've been doing a lot of uh, zooming with with the uh, with the grandparents. Kind of how else has your clan been keeping busy uh, over there? I'm assuming you've got how how are you finding yeah, the distant the distance uh, school learning going on? Um, you know, I, I think it's tough for everybody. Uh, you know, I look at it. So I, I said our kids are eight; they're in second grade. Um, the, the ones that are of school age, you know, and that's a tough age. I know every age is tough and comes with complications. I, I can tell you what it looks like for them. And they miss their friends. They miss their teachers. They miss going to school. They're old enough now to recognize that they are missing out on something. Uh, and they can internalize that and they can articulate it even a little bit. Uh, it's, it's tough for them to understand completely what's going on. You know, they're still young enough that, uh, you know, they know, for instance, Christmas is in December, but their view of what is seven months from now is much different than our view of what is seven months from now yes. and what an, what a long period of time that is. So, you know, this quarantine, I think it's felt like a really long time for them. Uh, and it feels like a long time for all of us, but you know, for little kids, it's, it's been tough. And then, you know, my wife works full time. Uh, I've got the legislative duties, which never really end as you all know, uh, particularly if you're in a leadership position. And then I also have another job. And so, you know, all five of us being in the house with, you know, one who's not yet two and requires a lot of supervision and three essentially full-time jobs. Uh, you know, look, it's, it's been an interesting time. <laughs> it's been an interesting time. Um, but, you know, we're fortunate. We're all healthy. Um, we do still have uh, our jobs for the time being, which is, you know, which we're grateful for. So there's a, there's a gratitude. Um, but there's also, you know, some frustration and anxiousness as well. Yeah, you know, I think it's kind of our six-year-old. I think is in the same boat where he knows something is weird and something strange, and sometimes mm -hmm. he'll just he'll. I think he gets more easily frustrated with stuff. It just there's emotions at the top that he has a hard time. He doesn't even know what's going on. It just, you know, he he can't articulate it. He just gets gets frustrated. With stuff, we, his birthday was uh, was Monday, and we had a kind of a you know drive-through birthday parade for him. And his his best friend from his his kindergarten class, uh, his parents drove him by, and, and Sam kind of hung out the window, and they and they they chatted in the yard for about a half hour, which was which was great. You know, I think that's that was really important for uh, him. But it's, cool. it, you know, they just they don't know how to deal with it. No, they that's a great point, and I I ask you this because you know we don't know the right balance either necessarily. Um, are you guys letting your kid watch the news at all? And 
kind of filter it that way or how are you all handling that no they, you know my wife watches the the press conference i guess she's she's backed off the press conference just because it came you know, there's, there's no, never knew any new information um but she used to watch that every night mm-hmm. and you know we'd, we'd set the kids up on something streaming in, in another room but you know they, they don't watch the news but they do get enough from from my wife coming up from the hospital you know they know that that mom's got to come home change clothes and clean a little bit before she can give them a hug or anything um we actually took him out of the house for the first time in five or six weeks. We, we went, my wife did a virtual half marathon and we went to pick up her medal and, uh, and our, our three-year-old said, we're going out, we're going in the car. Are, are, are the people, are the people healthy? Are the people safe from the virus now? I said, oh, no, Keegan, we just want to think about it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's, I think yeah. they're still too young to fully, fully get it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, if, it, if they were like your age, if your age like second grade, we might be doing a little bit more with them. But you know, kindergarten, a three-year-old certainly can get a comprehension. Kindergarten, I think, yeah. is a little bit. No. Yeah, Tom, I think he's at. Uh, even you know, with ours in it. Uh, yeah, uh, how's, how's Lizzie kind of you know comprehending it? I mean, she's at an awesome age, and she's she goes to a great school. Um, and she's largely self-sufficient. I mean, it, she is probably doing better with this than anybody else in the household. Um, I, I, you know, I'm a news junkie, but so much of my news now is, you know, I get it through online portions. If The day that I come home and I see Lizzie has picked up my copy of the Wall Street Journal, maybe the proudest moment <laughs> in my life. I'll keep my fingers crossed if that's going to happen. But I just, I don't, um, I don't watch the, the local news that much anymore. In fact, it's part of this thing with the COVID. It's like that changing of how we watch TV. I mean, I just, you know, I, I kind of make it work for me. I don't sit down traditionally and watch the, the 5.30 or the 6 o'clock news. Like when I was a kid, that would, you know, always be on. And then, you know, you'd watch the national news outlet and Brokaw or whoever was your, whatever denomination that you liked was on. So it's, it's just different. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it's, you know, we, we still have oftentimes in the morning around breakfast time, we'll have the news on where it you know, transitions from local to the to today's show is typically what's on in our house. Um, but you know, like this morning, they had the story about in New York that there are kids getting at least a virus that could be COVID related and some bad stuff going on. We, we shut that down and switched it off, right? You know, just because the kids are already are anxious about things going on. Um, you know, we're like, Hey, they don't need to see that just yet. Um, and if trade to your point, our 21 month old, she is living her best life, oh, right? Yeah. She goes, wait a second. All of my people are home. This is awesome. Um, zero comprehension of what's going on, except that everyone she loves is around all the time. My, my, uh, my wife believes that the whole virus was brought on by our three-year-old potentially being a, a, a witch or a warlock <laughs> or something because they had to, they had, I forget what it was for in school, but they had to, uh, they had to like give, you know, the, the, their, for their preschool daycare teacher, like, you know, what's, what's your one wish for whatever it was. And his wish was that I wouldn't have to go to school and I could stay at home all the time. So he's like, so every morning he he wakes up. He says, "Is it a school day?" Like, no, but it's another stay-at-home day. Yay, stay-at-home day. So, it's a uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's the life. Uh, I know you, you you're you're super busy. So, uh, are you finding any 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 time to to stream or watch anything uh, anything good on on uh on TV that you can recommend to people? No, very very little. I mean, that is the one thing. Um, 
with you know both of us working full time and you know MTI for the second graders. Um, I think Jefferson County is doing as good a job as they can do on it. I think they've gotten some good content out there. It's just you know when they're that age, they need help getting through it and they need help you know logging in and making sure the assignments are turned in and when they have questions. So we spend time working during the day, time working with them, time being with them during the day, then kind of flipping back on at night. I will say that we broke down and watched Tiger King together on Netflix, and we did watch every episode. So uh, that's wild for anybody. I think everybody has seen it. Anybody that hasn't seen it, that's been pretty good. And then, interestingly enough, we are watching with the kids right now, um, little by little, The Last Dance. And I kind of turned it on because, you know, that's part of my childhood. Those 90s Bulls teams are, you know, when I was my son's age and and older. So I really remember like the 92 Dream Team and the teams beyond that. So I didn't think anybody else would be interested in watching. I turned it on um, and kind of watched a little bit and then was just talking about the next day. Everybody seemed interested. I said, let's try and watch it together. And everybody, including my wife, who's not a huge sports junkie at all, um, we're all watching it. So we just finished episode three of The Last Dance because um, it's very rare that we can find time for the two adults and the two bigger kids to find an hour without the 21-month-old uh, to watch television. But we're watching it, you know, maybe half-hour segments. We're, we're going to start episode four. And that's been a – anybody who appreciates sports or appreciates the dynamics of a team, uh, watching somebody great perform like Michael Jordan, I think would enjoy The Last Dance. Yeah, I thought it's been – I think it's been really well done. Uh, you know, I've, I've enjoyed watching it, and then kind of periodically uh, when they have uh, when, when Tony Kornheiser has Michael Wilbon on uh, his his podcast, they'll talk about it because Wilbon's in it some, and 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 his, I think it's seen the whole thing, and it's kind of interesting hearing what what they feel like are the are the biggest moments biggest moments in it. But it's it's been really well done. Yeah. The, the 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 flashing back. It's 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 an interesting storytelling device. The way that they're they're flashing forward and flashing back and kind of bouncing around timelines. Do you guys totally find agree. that when you have um, a? Go ahead, Senator. I'm sorry. I, it, no, 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 no. Go, go ahead, Tom. No, you, you, I was I wasn't gonna say anything interesting. So go ahead. <laughs> well, Trey's used to me not saying anything interesting. So. Um, <laughs> Do you guys find that when you have a show like that, like The Last Dance, that you really like and you get into, and I, um, that you sort of hold back? I've only watched the first two episodes so far because I kind of – I don't want to give it up yet, especially right now. I, I want to have, like, that go-to time where I can sit there and, like, actually enjoy it versus just sort of binging through it. My wife and I agree on so so yeah. little when it comes to watching shows that I, I'll, I'll binge it just to, just to get it out of the way – so that I can see it, but then I can go back to watching whatever it is that, that we can agree on. So, you know, I've kind of been in a different situation that I just, I, I, I try to get it done and clear it off the deck so I can, I can actually spend time with her. <laughs> you know, I, I'm like you a little bit, Tom, I'm sort of a hybrid. You know, if I really like it, I want to binge watch it and then I'll get about halfway through it, realize I'm going to breeze through it too quickly. And then I want to start holding off, right? Because you don't want it to go away. So no, I, I for sure feel that way about shows. And it's been kind of nice watching The Last Dance that way because, you know, again, I mean, we're lucky if we can get in half an hour to 45 minutes with both the eight-year-olds in terms of, you know, the 21-month-old isn't up. We're not on a Zoom call for work. Uh, Their teeth are brushed and they're somewhat ready for bed. You know, their schoolwork's done. Um, 
we're lucky to have that time. So, it, but it does keep us going. And, and so, yeah, it's been nice to kind of space it out. An attention span for an eight-year-old is, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, you know, yeah. An hour, two hours straight is a lot to ask. That's exactly right. Yeah, their, their idea of binge watching in ours is probably different, but it's been good. I mean, there have been a couple of moments on the show that I'm not going to lie. Uh, we've had to explain to them and are trying to explain it in the, in the nicest way possible. But have you, made, have you made it to the Dennis Robin episode yet? Because I, I would assume that's got a lot of explaining for me in there. You know, we, we, we just finished the Dennis, that's episode three. So we yeah. just finished the Dennis Robin episode last night. And yeah, I mean, it, you know, there's a scene, and I'm not going to give away anything. First of all, everybody knows what happens with the 90s bulls. If you don't, um, then, then really you should watch it because you need to know what happens. But uh, there's a scene there kind of at the end where Dennis Rodman, with a beer can in hand, gets on a motorcycle without a helmet and rides away. And the kids look and say, so is he allowed to do that? <laughs> you know, you have one of those moments, you have one of those moments of a parent with an eight-year-old. You know, guys, actually, um, drinking and driving is never allowed. And uh, really drinking and driving on a motorcycle without a helmet is not something we encourage. But he, you know, go, but he did it. Uh, well, you know, let's, let's pause here for a second, guys. Let's have a little conversation. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there, there was some, ex some explaining to do. But, um, you know, yeah, they've, they've enjoyed it and enjoyed watching it. What, what, what about reading? Do you get, get any time into uh... – and, and, and we'll, we'll accept uh, children's books in there as well, because I, you know, I'm always looking for something new to change up the bedtime routine here as well. Yeah, no, we, we've been reading, a, I mean, a ton with the kids. And uh, one of the things we're doing, too, is having them read to us now to make sure that, you know, their reading comprehension is where it should be at their age. So um, we're kind of split up right now. And that's the one thing with twins is it's hard to split up, even though we have boy-girl twins. Uh, very different kids with different interests. They're also very close. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's been good for them to have each other during this time. Uh, but, you know, when we want to see what they're reading, how they're reading individually, right, they don't do everything the same. Uh, we do have to split up. So recently, my son is reading me the second Harry Potter book, The Chamber of Secrets. And my daughter is reading a Ramona Quigby book uh, with my wife, which has been nice. Um, We've been reading a book to them, which has been really cool and, and probably a little bit old for your six-year-old, Trey. But in a couple of years, I'll, I'll shoot you the exact title of it. But it's very condensed stories of the Shakespeare plays. And okay. I, I am shocked at how interested the kids are in it. And, and I'm not like, I'm not trying to like, oh, my kids are smart. No, no I mean, this is just. We, when you condense those stories down, I think that's what Shakespeare did, right? He created compelling, dramatic stories. And so these stories are maybe 10 pages and they have some illustrations. They don't introduce every character in the entire play. It's not read in the lines like a play as it's told as a story. And they have been fascinated by it. So we're about to finish that book up and reading to them, um, which has been good. So. Uh, in terms of me reading myself, I know, Trey, you will really appreciate this, but the book that I ordered on Amazon and have on my nightstand right now is Mitch Please, uh, written by my friend <laughs> Matt Jones. Um, and I am reading that right now, and I, I give a full recommendation of that book to anyone listening. 
we, I joked about it with Dave Baker when he was on a couple of weeks ago. I said, well, I need to get a hard copy so I can see if my name's in the index. If it is, I might read it. If not, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, this is where Kentucky's a small state, right? And um, I, when I started practicing law, I practiced in uh, the same firm and a similar practice group as Matt did. So this was, you know, before the sort of KSR turned into what it is. I think he was he had a radio show at that time that was basically running KSR out of his basement. Uh, and so, you know, Matt is a friend. He's been a, he's been a friend for a, a long time. And so I wanted to read it in part just to get his perspective on it. Also, I'm, I'm interested in Kentucky politics from all sides. Uh, if we had a Democratic figure like Mitch McConnell and a book like that came out from a personality in Kentucky, I, I think I'd want to read that too. Yeah, I, 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 have your kids gotten into any of the Magic Treehouse stuff? It's, it's kind of a tweener age. They had they. Yeah, that, that's, that's what Finn's into right now, which I kind of like because there's a little bit of history to it, but it's not so much that it feels like you're teaching yeah. them. <laughs> no, and I mean, it's funny you say that because we, you know, we say magic, that's Jack and Annie, right? Is yeah. That, the, yeah. Are those the characters in the Magic Reality? Yeah, and then they say, when everything was still absolutely still, is that, is that, yeah, am I remembering Finn, this correctly? Finn, Finn gets mad at you if you, if you say the absolutely still part. He wants to say that. <laughs> yes, I say our kids said it too. No, they they loved that right about when they were uh, his age. Loved it, and we we blew through them. In fact, I will go home and look and uh, see if I've got any there. Some, Maybe if somebody, you don't have any, somebody can... loaned us. Somebody loaned us like literally like fifty of them. Some of the some of the Merlin ones. And, got it. You know, anyway, we're 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 way we're way off track for for most most listeners' interest at this point. <laughs> Uh, you guys are giving yeah, yeah, me a complex, yeah. man. I mean, like, we're we're not crushing it as much as I thought we were over here. Well, these, these are all significantly younger than than uh, than Lizzie's age here, uh, here Tom. Uh, well, yeah, well, yeah, and, yeah, she she's working Tom, on her magnum opus in there right now. Tom, you didn't ask us right? how long we're doing it. Yeah, you know, these Shakespeare stories are about 15 minutes in length. You know, 15. We're not we're not crushing it all day every day. Um, so so you know, they were supposed to do some version of a, a Midsummer Night's Dream, like the the fifth grader version of this, and of course that's gotten thrown out because of the COVID 19 stuff. And so they're going to do some sort of multi video version of this in like a week. And apparently Lizzie's um, uh, Disney World. Uh, Star Wars lightsaber is not an acceptable um, sword for her version of a Midsummer Night's Dream. So we're in the process of trying to source a uh, more appropriate device. I thought it was kind of cool, actually. That sounds like a woodworking project for you there, Tom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, All, right. All right. Well, let's, well let's... Tom, if you need help there, <laughs> I, having an eight-year-old little boy, I, we do have several plastic swords around the house. So if you need help sourcing it, in all seriousness, <laughs> we're around. Well, let, let's move on. I to, appreciate uh, that and being able to go across the uh, the aisle. Let, let, let's let's move on to, uh, to to listening habits. What uh either music or podcasts. Uh, what have you been listening to, Morgan? What what can what can you recommend to people? Yeah. So thank you. Now you're now you're talking my language. Um, <laughs> am I, I, am I, am I know this Morgan about Morgan and I did run into each other at Forecastle Festival a few years back. Yeah, I, I am a true music lover. Um, uh, I love music. Uh, I, you know, 
practice law. I do politics, if that's what you want to call it, by being elected to office. I love music. Um, and so, you know, I'm excited for Jason Isbell's new album, for all of that to, to come out. I think if you're not listening to Jason Isbell right now, he is one of the best singer-songwriters going, um, a fantastic musician, uh, and he gives a great live show as well. He's also a good Twitter follower, um, if, if you're into that sort of thing. So I think Jason Isbell does a great job. Um, you know, we play all types of music at our house right now. So I can sing you the Elmo song um, and also can go into Taylor Swift and the Jonas Brothers. I tend more towards uh, the rock, sort of a blend between kind of rock, Americana, blues, uh, jam bands, uh, sort of is what I gravitate towards musically. Um, but yeah, for people out there, Jason Isbell does a great job right now. And uh, that's kind of who I'm listening to a lot. Have you have you listened at all to the new? It's one one of my all time favorite musicians. But have you listened at all to the new Clem Snide album that's produced by Scott Avett? No, I haven't. You should check that. It came out uh, maybe two or three weeks ago, uh, and uh, you know, it's, I think it's it's I mean, Clem Snide is just Eve Barnsley. It, it's the, the band is kind of immaterial who's who's behind him, but uh, he hadn't had a new album out in I think five or six years, and uh, uh, somehow he and Scott Avett hooked up. And and Scott David produced the album. I think helped write some of the songs, sings back up on a lot of them. Really, really strong kind of acoustic Americana album. I would check that out. Yeah, you know, you, you we're talking about we're talking about acoustic Americana. I mean, you know, two Kentucky guys who are killing it right now are uh, Tower Childers and Sergio Simpson, of course. And yeah, that's one of the things that in, in COVID world has bummed me out is the summer concert season is basically officially canceled. Um, I don't know what that means exactly. And I was, I was talking to one of my really good friends uh, who's in a, a band from Louisville also is an incredible band, My Morning Jacket. And we were just kind of talking about the business aspects of this. And one of the things he was saying is, you know, you might see something if we get a window this fall where if you live in a, a reasonably sized city, you might have really good live music options every night of the week um, because you're going to see a lot of artists try to go out there on tour and, and that's where the, they make their money. Uh, and so maybe, you know, I hope that this clears up and we can safely go to concerts again. Uh, I saw, I will, I'm, you know, I'm going to miss proposal, that. I saw a proposal online for drive-in concerts. Like throwing that out that that might be a, a, right? a, a, bridge, a bridge opportunity kind of in between. Yeah, you know, I, so. I think it'd be cool. I, mean, I wonder if we'll see some drive-in movie theaters come back. I, I mean, there, there's one, uh, there's one yeah, out, I, out here in Winchester that, uh, that's, that's pretty popular, actually. I think the Winchester one is closed, hasn't it? I mean, is it closed for the season or is it closed, closed? That's a good question. I thought it had closed. I know the one in Paris is still open. And then somebody um, critiqued me and said there's one in Somerset, I think. Those are the only two that I'm aware of right now. That's a heck of an opportunity right there. Yeah. I guess you have to have the theaters release the movies. I mean, I know it's totally cheesy, right? But I'm showing my age. But I was really excited for Top Gun 2 to come out this summer. Uh, and, you know, it, does it come out? And, of course, I saw somebody saying this on the news this morning. It was, a, uh, it was actually the Minneapolis Fed, uh, President of the Minneapolis Fed, Federal Reserve Bank, and chair, I guess. And, and he was saying, you know, are we going to go to movie theater? I mean, do you want to go right now and sit in a movie theater with 300 people you don't know? Um, so even if it's allowed, are people going to be doing it? That the movie, that movie theaters will be probably the first industry just to 
suffer wholesale collapse afterwards because it's just it's gonna they're gonna have to 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 space seats further apart, which is fewer tickets you can sell to to a movie, which completely changes the algorithm that you use to calculate how much you need to charge and how much rent you can afford to pay and, and what makes a successful business. That's exactly right. And you saw the Academy Awards just announced, I think it was last week, this is where the quarantine days run together. Um, but I think it was last week, the Academy Awards said that they will consider nominations that never were in a theater now. Yeah. Um, they they had to be scheduled for a theatrical release, but if they decide to just put it out online, then you can still get considered for the Oscars. So, I mean, another big change there. I was excited about Maverick coming out. Like that was, I was ready to rent right. out the, the movie pictures over here in Lexington <laughs> and bring the whole gang for that one. Uh, I think I saw where right? now it's scheduled yeah. for December 23rd. So, Is it really? Yeah. You, 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 uh, well, guess what then? That is my birthday. I'm going. <laughs> there so go. there we go. <laughs> All right. La la last question for you before we get to some, some news, news items. Uh, Senator, is, uh, what, what, have you, what have you been eating? Whether, whether takeout, cooking from home, uh, what, what have you been, been enjoying in the kitchen uh, during, the, during the break here? Yeah, we've, we've been cooking a lot, um, you know, just with, with five people at home. Um, you can only do takeout so much. We do takeout, and we, when we do takeout, we obviously try to support a lot of the great local restaurants in Louisville and, and find people that are doing that. Um, you know, we have friends over at the Fat Lamb and Monic. Uh, Frank Ravi Beer Depot does great barbecue. So, you know, we're trying to hit a lot of the, the local spots close to our house. Then uh, at home, and we're just trying to keep it interesting. You know, some nights we'll grill out. Um, we, you know, we do the normal sort of meals that we can, spaghetti and that kind of stuff. As as meat becomes harder to buy, uh, we're trying to get a little bit creative on that side. So we made some cool sort of black bean fajita-like things the other night, uh, which were which were nice. Um, so yeah, just trying to keep it interesting. We've got five different people with five different appetites. Um, I will say this: one of the, the one of the cool things we have done while being at home is we're like, okay, guys, looking at the kids, you know, it's hard on them what's a special night? Like what's a theme dinner night that you would like? And so our son was up first and he said, I want state fair night. It's like, I love fair food. And so sure enough, you know, we had corn dogs and French fries and we actually, my wife looked up the, the batter mix and we put it in a, a Dutch oven. We put the oil in a Dutch oven and fried it and made funnel cakes, homemade funnel cakes. Um, which was kind of a, a fun thing. And, you know, just the kids got a kick out of it. It was something, you know, kind of cool to do with the family and broke up some of the, the monotony or the Groundhog Day that I know we're all feeling a little bit. Yeah, we're like a constant rotation between chicken nuggets, uh, you know, tacos, quesadillas, grilled cheese. Uh, our, my, my kids are not what you call adventurous eaters. So they, uh, <laughs> and, and, and we and we eat separate from them anyway, so they want to eat early. They have an early bedtime, so it's like five o'clock. We cook, we cook for them, and then and then uh, we end up eating at like eight or eight thirty. Yeah, yeah. Um, we try to we try to all eat together. Sometimes we're successful. Sometimes we're not. Yeah, it's just it's so it's so hard with their. So they want to eat early, and and they want to eat such <laughs> such a limited diet. It's it's, it's tough, but. Uh, mm -hmm. All right, well, let's get into some, some, some news. Obviously, this is supposed to be a name, at least a, a political uh, a new, new show, but uh, I guess the, the next steps, uh, the 11th here, the next steps of, of healthy at work are supposed to, uh, are supposed to, to, 
to open. Uh, we're getting start, starting to get a, a few more businesses uh, coming online. And kind of what are, what are you hearing and seeing up in up in Louisville? I know here in Lexington, Mayor Gordon's looking at, at a week after that even to start opening some stuff. I mean, is everything on pace for the 11th up there? How's what's the, what's the mood like in Louisville around uh, how this healthy at work stuff's gonna gonna function? Yeah, I think you know people people want to get back to some kind of normal, but they want to do it safely. Um, and so I think you know the governor's executive order. Let's, let's first of all let's talk about what it does and what it doesn't do because I think there's a lot of I don't think there's misinformation out there. I just think there's a misunderstanding of what it is. Um, and, and also, first of all, the governor's executive order for the businesses that are open it requires them when practical to have their employees wearing masks and other PPE to help prevent the spread of the disease. A lot of those masks, you know, don't prevent people from contracting the disease, but they prevent the spread of it, which is obviously an admirable goal. Uh, it, his executive order does not require us, if we go into a store, to wear a mask. The store can require us to wear a mask, um, but that is coming from the store's own policy, and, uh, and not from know, a, an Morgan, edict we, from, from the we, government. We've talked about that before. Yeah, I think that was... There, there's a danger, I think, and I mean, you know, you you've followed and been around politics your entire life. You know, there's a danger mm -hmm. in talking too much sometimes. I think that's the danger of having these daily press conferences is sometimes you slip up and say the use the wrong word, which changes the messaging. And mm -hmm. I think that was a big misstep on Bashir's part when he first announced the mask thing. The first words out of his mouth mouth were mandate. Nobody heard anything after that. People are going nuts thinking that, you know, they're going to be arrested if they're not wearing a mask. That's not what the policy was, but it's just the fact that the first words that came out of his mouth on it were mandate kind of silenced everybody's ears to the rest of it. And it's just, it's kind of thrown public perception of it into, into a weird spot. Yeah. And, and, you know, first of all, I, mean, I think the governor's done a tremendous job so far, but, you know, when you, when you talk about this as a public relations person, I know you have a ton of experience doing Trey, you're right. I mean, sometimes those word choices can be really important and, whether people should listen or not to the rest of the sentence, you're right. Sometimes they don't. Um, now, I mean, that being said, I, I think that, that people should, again, when possible and practical, if you have access to a mask or somebody's made one for you, you know, we want to prevent the spread of this. You know, I mentioned earlier in the program, uh, my sister, who's pregnant right now and due in June, you know, uh, she still needs to go to the grocery. You know, if you can, wear a mask. So if you've got it, you don't spread it, right? Um, so that people don't get it. It's, it's it's about respect you know, to protect for, all respect and, for other people. You know, it's 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 not about you. yeah. It's, it's, it's about making, especially if you're younger like we are. It's about making other people that you may run into in public comfortable being around you. It's not necessarily about you. It's it's about you know. And that's I think at the end of the day, social distancing. That's what it's all about. It's about understanding and being aware of your surroundings and respecting those around you. Right. And it's, look, it's new. It's different. Uh, it's a change. We're all adapting to it. But yeah, it, it, we know this disease is spread through people interacting with each other. And so how we can help prevent that is a good thing. But, you know, it's, uh, I think you're looking at businesses, you're, you know, back to your question about what it's like in Louisville. I think businesses are looking forward to being open. Uh, I think that they're looking forward to being open in a responsible way because businesses want to be open. Um, but they also know that if it just goes too much too soon, there's a possibility this thing comes back and, and has an even bigger spike. So, you know, let's, let's get things moving. Let's get people doing it in a responsible way. Let's get the businesses doing it in a responsible way um, and, and make sure that we're letting sort of you know, good public health data um, help drive us in this and, and we'll see what happens. 
Face mask equals great uh, fashion opportunity. Uh, I had a buddy that gave me a, a really cool UK Wildcats um, face mask. So that's kind of my go-to that I'm carrying around in my back pocket. Uh, and then I saw online where, you know, all the, the big bands have gotten into it. I thought, the, you know, the Rolling Stones mask with the, you know, the big tongue thing oh, hanging out. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a pretty strong move there. So uh, what's, cool. what's it like, Morgan, yeah. as, a, as an attorney over there right now? Like in the, in the office, I mean, are, are you going in? Or are you pretty much working I'm, from home? I'm at this not point? going in. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty much working from home. I'm really not going in. Our office is officially closed. You know, we still have uh, someone who will go in occasionally, or or we'll have a schedule where someone goes in because you know we we still get mail. Um, we still there are still people that use the mail exclusively. Um, you know, just some of those things that have to be done. The courts are closed right now through May 31st. Um, there are some judges that are having in-person hearings not really not my practice my practice has anything like that for practices like mine there are some judges that have had zoom hearings on status conferences and basic things like that some some courts have even had oral arguments through zoom but for the most part the courts are closed that slowed things down a little bit um and you know with with decreased activity also comes decreased legal work in a lot of instances now there's some practices that you know are are going full blast right now and others that aren't. So we'll, I think the most interesting thing for the practice of law will be how many of these changes remain in place after COVID. So, you know, like uh, mediation is a big thing with the legal profession right now where parties get together with a mediator and try to resolve their dispute before they actually take it to trial or, or get way too far down the road in the trial process. Well, some of these mediations now that are really hard to schedule because you might have people from out of town coming in, uh, you know, getting everybody scheduled, they're doing them on Zoom. And there's some success to it. So you know, are we going to continue to do some of these hearings and some of these mediations by Zoom, particularly even when the courts are back opened up, if, if people aren't comfortable traveling yet? So I think you could see some, some potential, you know, permanent changes there. Did, did you see where a, uh, they're, you know, they're doing a, uh, uh, kind of on online Supreme Court hearings now. And you could, you could hear apparently yeah. a toilet flushing during one of the hearings yesterday. Somebody had forgotten to turn their mics off. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, there's no, there's no telling what you would hear at our house uh, if, if I had a Supreme Court hearing uh, at the house. But I, I, I think I can say, though, I, I'm curious as how many of these attorneys and judges are wearing shorts underneath the uh, shirt tie and jacket. That's what I want to know. Well, you had the, you had the one judge admonish uh, the lawyers coming before him on Zoom. Basically, you got to at least like put a shirt or something on. <laughs> Get out of your PJs. Yeah, no, that's right. That's, you, you, can wear, you wear the shirt and the tie, right? But I'm wondering how many are wearing athletic shorts because uh, you're sitting down at a yeah. table. Um, I mean, wearing the, how many are wearing the actual full suit? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, Tom, Tom uh, as important as, as all of that is for uh, – one of the underlying themes of this show, uh, gambling, uh, horse racing is, uh, is free, free to start back up. Are you, Tom, are you, are you excited for, uh, for, for being able to fire up the TVG account and bet on some Churchill races? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. What's, what's the official date that we go? Is it the 11th? I thought it was the 6th. I, I think the 11th is when they can. I think Churchill 16th. starts running the 16th. Is that right, Morgan? Yeah, 16th is the date I've heard. Yeah, so that'll be that'll be fun, and I mean the the handles on these on, on the tracks have been going have been huge. So I mean that's a much 
you know, we've talked about the show before, beyond just giving people something to do and, and, and getting people in Kentucky back to work a little, that's, that's you know, that's a, a, a cash injection in the arm of the, of the Commonwealth that we need right now. Yep. No, uh, I think, uh, and, and that's something, you know, I'd, I'd talked to the governor's office about it. I know they've been working on it, was, was getting racing up without spectators. It'll give, you know, I think it will give people some entertainment and also, like you said, the wagering in the industry and, and keep things going. Uh, kind of moving on a little bit. Um, the Tom, you were uh, you, you've been up to Frankfurt once or twice here uh, the last couple of days, and uh, I think you sent me a text message yesterday, which I thought was interesting. That the governor, probably not the governor, KSP at the very least, has is was limiting access to the loop around the, the Capitol during the during the press conference time. Is that, is that is that right? Yeah, I had some friends reach out to me from the uh, attorney general's office, and it, it just at the time that it happened, it, it overlapped with when people were just leaving there because um, they've still got a, a pretty sizable staffing contingent up there. And I, I, it was interesting for me. I, I'd read a lot of stuff about the um, closures and the, the protests there. And um, I had to be in Frankfurt for a, a family issue the other day and I had a gap. And so I decided to drive down and just sort of take it in and, and look at it. And I was taken aback by, um, the spacing that was there and also some of the folks that, that were around, whether they were either, you know, not abiding by the CDC guidelines or um, just really trying to draw a lot of attention to themselves. But I, I was surprised by that one, Trey. I, I don't think it's anything that the, the media has picked up on or, or covered. I thought maybe for a while the smartest things when they were doing the, the five o'clock press event at the emergency operations center, um, you know, that that's certainly a secure safe area. You know, it just it it, it just doesn't send. It, it, I think optically, it's just not it's not a great signal. And you know, and, and Morgan, Tom, and I talked about this last night. Uh, you know, if this was Matt Bevin for anything you want to say about Matt Bevin, he, I mean, he always wanted to go out and engage and talk to protesters. You know, his staff were like chaining him to a desk to stop him from doing it. I just I don't think it's a great look for the governor to be blocking stuff off and, and you know. I, I hate to I hate to make it sound like like this, but hiding hiding in the Capitol, you know, like yeah, people are protesting, but that's part of being in office. It's, you're going to have protesters. Yeah, but uh, but I think we need to put it in context, right? Which is the death threats to the governor have been real and serious. Yes. Uh, in fact, the U.S. Attorney for the Western District just announced the arrest, and they're charging one individual. Um, who had made significant enough threats against, you know, the governor and law enforcement that they, they went in, they went to his house, they had a search warrant, and they found, you know, uh, the ability to make, yeah, they found the ability to make hand grenades, they found, I mean, really, so we don't know exactly how many of those there are, but we know they are there, there's several of them, they're real. You gotta remember when this capital was built. I think well, this capital was started being built in what 1905. Is that right? Right That's around right. then. Uh, I don't know when it was finished, but I think it's, I'm close, right? Yeah. Um, so this was this was built over 100 years ago. I think we can all agree it was built over 100 years ago. And you know that press conference room where the governor gives his press conference. This Trey, I know you've been at Tom. You've probably been in it as well. It's just a room, and it has windows facing the street like any other room in the Capitol, right? Those are not bulletproof windows. That is not this is not a fortification like you see at the White House. Um, this is a very open and accessible space. Um, you know, people, in fact, 
can walk in and walk up to it wearing guns, right? I mean, that, that is how accessible this space is. I think when you see threats like that, it might not be a good look, but keeping our elected officials safe like that sometimes requires those types of measures. And, you know, I would say, to go back to what you said about Bevan, if, if Matt Bevan were receiving those kind of serious threats where people are being investigated and even arrested right now for making those threats, and he was doing daily press briefings that state police thought weren't safe to have people congregating outside for, you know, that presents a different scenario. Well, and, and I'll say that's, that's what we don't know. And I think if, if there are specific threats, I think it, it would behoove the governor and state and the state police to come out and say, hey, you know, all you protesters, this is not the governor making this decision. We have real credible threats, uh, you know, and, and let the state police step out in front of them basically and say, we're, we're, we're mandating this. This has nothing to do with him. Um, mm -hmm. you know, that, I think that would, that would clear up some of the optics, but you know, it's, it's, there's also a balance you have to strike between the two. I mean, th there's always a, a threat of some sort to, uh, to, to public officials. I mean, you look like stuff like Gabby Giffords, you know, I mean, you, you can't, mm -hmm. you cannot stop that and still function in a, in a democratic society. So there's always an inherent threat uh, uh existent there so you know it's 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 working that balance i do think it would help the state police would just would come out and say hey the same thing governor this is us doing it yeah i agree i don't and, i don't want to start falling back into all the old like jeffersonian quotes about you know inciting factions and, and different groups but I, at the same time too i mean nobody um you know it people choose to take on leadership positions inside our society and democracy is, um, you know, it's, it's not always pretty. And I think when we don't see that law enforcement group coming out and saying that it fans the flames of, we see more and more faction, it fans the flames and it causes more anxiety that, and these are the things that are the criticisms that are out there now. So you, yeah, I, you know, I you're think, mandated I think to wear a mask. You're not allowed to travel. You know, it's, it's hard. It, it feeds it feeds the nut jobs. You know, this is this is what this is what they believe and 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 what you know. You hate to say that, kind of kind of what they want to hear, so they can they can keep keep getting more geared up. Is is oh, you know, the governor's closed. We can't even you know see turn it into a police state. Yeah, it's, it's I think I know the governor's trying to take a lot on on his shoulders so that you know he can let people work do work behind him. But this this, need, this is one where I think he behoove himself to let the state police step out on this one take some of the heat it's just it's it's going to feed the nut jobs if they think it's him doing it right and look I, I won't argue with you on that point but i will say when you talk about feeding the nut jobs there is some irony you've got to admit that in a time when we are enforcing statewide social distancing guidelines right so when you talk about bevan wading into a sea of protesters that's not going to happen right now first of all they're really isn't going to be or shouldn't be that sea of protesters uh, that we saw with teachers or other groups coming up. Um, but they're protesting the fact they, they somehow can't engage the governor when all they're doing is blocking off the unsecure and easily accessible room that is the media room in the Capitol, right? So they're seeing exactly what he's doing. It's, all, it's live on television everywhere. Um, so, I, I mean, I guess, you know, let's just carry it out, right? So, okay, let's say that the state police say there's not enough of a credible threat. We're taking out all the barricades. Then people can stand outside, but what's going on inside isn't going to change and they can still see what's going on inside. 
So, uh-huh. I mean, I think that part of it is there, there are people that are upset right now and they're going to be upset no matter what. Oh yeah. I mean, and they, you know, we, we could, we could go round and round on that. Tom and I have, have made our feelings on the protest perfectly clear. Which I think, what's, what's the point, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Uh, right. move, moving on the next thing, you know, Daniel Cameron starting to get a little bit more engaged. Uh, the first, first mm-hmm. generation of the travel ban got thrown out. Uh, the governor kind of amended it and, and, and reinstated a new version kind of using guidelines that were, or, or breadcrumbs that were laid out by the, by the judge. And uh, now the, the AG's joined a lawsuit with a, uh, a Nicholasville-based church on, on, on that, that angle. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're starting to see a little bit more uh, of the legal entanglements. You know, Tom and I talked about this on Tuesday. Uh, Senator, you know, part, part of me thinks that the governor did, you know, put some stuff into place that he probably knew if you really, if you really asked him, um, you know, do you think this is going to stand up in court? He'd probably say no, but in the in the time that it takes for it to get struck down, we're we're saving people. I think part my mm-hmm. heart tells me part part of some of this stuff he kind of did with that angle, knowing it would get struck down. But you know, he's got three weeks where where it's in place, which is probably good for public health. Um, but you know, kind of what are what are your thoughts on on uh, uh, the, the 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 court cases, the decisions that have been handed down thus far, and and you know, the kind of the long term viability of some of these moves. You know, well, first of all, I'll start off by just giving you know, my, uh, my philosophy on this a little bit, which is we have three co-equal branches of government. And when the court rules something isn't allowed, then it's not allowed. You don't have to agree with the court. And I'm sure that the three of us even here and anybody listening can come up with decisions in which, with which they've agreed with the court, which they haven't agreed with the court. Whether you agree or you don't agree, that becomes the law. Um, and so you know, the, the court has ruled on this issue and the, and the governor's made changes. I'll also say, though, that you could you could write a series of law school exams on what's going on right now because the governor of Kentucky has incredibly broad and vast powers in a state of emergency and if you look at how chapter 69 of the Kentucky Constitution interplays with KRS chapter 39a uh, the governor really has and not not Andy Bashir right the governor, the office of the governor of Kentucky, no matter who sits in that chair, has incredible powers to do things. Um, so, you know, the, the courts are going to keep some of it in check to make sure that uh, they think that's what it says. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think that some of the things he's done on the face of our current laws in Kentucky were allowed. Um, you, we can, again, we can ask the question whether they should be allowed. The court has stepped in and said maybe they shouldn't be. But I think they're actually, the governor has incredible powers and people have known they were there, but they're really seeing it when we face this kind of emergency, uh, the, the powers that the governor has. Do you think, Senator, that, um, and, and as a standpoint, I mean, as a senator, not as a, a, a Democrat mm-hmm. or the minority leader, that there's a chance that, um, you know, in the future that the legislature will try to assert its authority and say, okay, we, we have got to create a mean so that we can bring ourselves into session. Um, just because, I mean, part yeah, of it's I'm, a historical change, right? You know, kids don't go to school um, in the summer, right? But it dates a historical tradition where they were needed for agriculture. I mean, now we don't, we don't live out in the middle of, of nowhere. We can travel to Frankfurt and do stuff. I mean, you think that that's a, a likely change? Yeah, yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question. 
Um, part of the reason we have such a strong executive is because the legislature is only in session from the first week in January through April 15th. Again, reflective of that same agrarian calendar, you know, that's not the harvest season uh, going back a long time ago, like, like our school schedule. Um, I think you'll see the legislature try to assert itself more. And as a legislator, obviously, I'm, I'm a fan of co-equal branches of government and legislative independence. But I think we have to be realistic about who we are and what we're able to do right now. The legislature is only in session from January through April because that's what the Constitution says. The Constitution says we can meet for 60 days in even-numbered years, excluding Sundays, and for 30, numbered year, 30 days in odd-numbered years, excluding Sundays. That's it. Period. No getting around it. And if we start being able to call ourselves back into session, one, that takes a constitutional change. Two, we're going to have to redo the legislature. And I'll let you guys weigh in on this, whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing. So look at Michigan right now. There's a lot of drama playing out in Michigan, and the Michigan legislature is asserting its authority. If I'm not mistaken, Michigan has a full-time legislature. Kentucky has a part-time citizen legislature. And without weighing in whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, whether you like that or not, that's what we have. And that's part of the reason we have such a strong executive is because if a crisis like the one we're in right now occurs when the legislature isn't in session, people don't realize we can't take a vote. We can't vote on anything. We can't appropriate anything. We can't change much other than using our bully pulpit until we come back that first week in January or the governor tells us to come back into session. But the governor is so powerful that the governor can dictate what we're able to consider during a special session. And you saw this even last summer with Matt Bevin. Matt Bevin tried to make the call of the session the actual bill, which, interestingly <laughs> enough, the Republican <laughs> legislature yeah. didn't challenge at the time. And so they have now set a precedent that the governor can say, you can come into session to consider exactly this. Um, so, Tom, to, you know, to, to answer your question, I think if the legislature wants to assert itself in that way, we really are going to have to fundamentally change the job of being a legislator in Kentucky. I, I, I think there's a, yeah. there, there's, a, there's a medium solution you could take, though, which is just get rid of the sine die date in the Constitution and just say, you know, if, if you want to come in, you, you have 60 days in a calendar year. If you want to come in and... and and, you know, do 30 days worth of work in what would be the normal session and then save 30 days to sprinkle throughout the year. That's fine. If you want to wipe out all 60 days, the first 60 days of the year, you can do that, too. But, you know, that would have that would have fixed one of the big problems this year, which was, you know, we had to get something done. It probably was a smarter public health idea and, and honestly, probably smarter for especially considering the budget session to, to go home and let this thing play out mm -hmm. a little bit and come back later. You know that probably would have been a better method, but you couldn't do it because of that that constitutional signing die date. I, I think removing that date, and you could even keep the days, uh, might might still be a, an okay solution. But removing that date would be a, a good first step. I mean, yeah, how do you, you know, how do you balance your law practice with that? I mean, well, I, I was just about to say, Tom, and, and Trey, I think that's one of those things that sounds really good in theory. What I would just submit to you as somebody who has to have another job while I do this job. Um, to you know, sort of pay our mortgage and, and pay our bills, it would be really difficult to, again, have that idea of the citizen legislator, the person who is working while they're in, in session. Don't take me and my law practice as part of it. Think about uh, some of our legislators right now who are farmers. 
right? Yeah. You know, trying to call them in for a, for two weeks of session in the middle of their busiest time is going to be very difficult. Uh, it's already difficult finding people to give up as much time as it officially takes to be a legislator, much less the unofficial time oh, you know, that we've been in our community. Recruiting candidates and, has never been harder. I mean, you, you have right, to and, it, I'm sure. And, it's, it's hard. And so, you know, I think if you did what you just recommended, yeah, it's good in that it enables the legislature to have the ability to address things as they happen throughout the year. Um, but it's going to make it a lot harder for anybody to have another job while they do it. Um, you know, and I think also one thing we respond well to, we respond well to deadlines. And whether you like the legislature or you don't, we are, we are the opposite of a do-nothing legislature. Much we do things that impact Kentuckians' lives. <laughs> yeah, boy, I mean, that, that last, and that's why you saw a lot fewer bills passed this year. You know, people are like, oh my gosh, they're taking the session away from us. Keep in mind, we met for, what was it, 53 of the 60 days? But if those last 10 days count for an awful lot. And, and so, um, I, again, I think it's worth revisiting. And this is something that President Stivers and I have talked about in the past is, what what do we make the legislature look like? Um, it, we went to annual sessions. Uh, I think it was voted on. Was that twenty years ago? It, so uh, we're coming up on on. That sounds right. Yeah, two thousand. Some reason I've got ninety six <laughs> in my head, but it's somewhere in there. Close enough. It's somewhere. Yeah, we're, we're coming up on we're we're coming up on twenty ish years of having annual sessions and. We have made no changes other than just having that annual session. You know, the annual session was supposed to get rid of special sessions. We still have those. Uh, the, an, the session that is the non-budget session, as you all know, basically is just as busy as a session where we have the budget. It just doesn't have the budget. Um, so I think we do have to look at things as we want more citizens uh, to get involved in the legislature. We have to look at some changes, at exactly what those are. I think there's a wide debate. I'll leave this one thing and then we'll kind of move on to our last topic. You know, I, I, I do, you know, we could, and you know, I, I threw out an idea. We could talk about ideas, but I'm also, you also have a concern, have to have a concern that, well, you know, you, it's hard and dangerous to make wholesale big changes to a specific event when the chances of that specific event mm -hmm. reoccurring in the future are slim. You know, is it, is, is it an event that we need to make? Broad changes for, or is it just one where we got to say, well, maybe there's a way we can pivot for this one time, but you know, let's hold off on changing the whole system just because of this. As a senior executive yeah, branch official, I know we all breathed easier when Signy Die came around. Just saying, <laughs> it's nothing against the yeah, legislature yeah. personally, but it was it was a good day. I mean, mid-April is good time. Well, and, and Happy Chandler, the Democrat, famously. Uh, said the legislature has it backwards. They meet for 60 days every two years when they should meet for two days every 60 years. So, no, I know, I know the executive <laughs> branch uh, has, has that tension there. Um, you know, but I, I think, Trey, to your point, you don't want to have just a knee-jerk reaction. And even some of the emergency bills that we passed in the last days of the session, Senate Bill 150 comes to mind, did a lot of really good things. They are tied specifically to this state of emergency. Um, so if, if they're working and we want to revisit them later, we can, but they're tied specifically to this. The conversation about the legislature and how we change the nature of the legislature is one that ha was happening before COVID-19. 
I think it's one that should happen after COVID-19 with, of course, this experience in mind. Um, but really, you know, balancing that idea of do we want a citizen legislature? If we do, how do we make that more practical for people uh, to join and, and serve? Or do we want to move to more of a full-time model like a lot of states have done? Um, there are, I promise you, there are pros and cons for each. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we uh, talked about, uh, before we had you on, uh, you, know, we, you and I discussed a little bit about kind of uh, one last broader topic that I wanted to get to. And I want to take off my, my partisan hat and kind of put on just, you know, political observer commentator hat and have a, have a quick discussion with you about the kind of where the Democratic Party is in Kentucky. You know, because there's obviously redistricting is coming up next year. Uh, but even before that, uh, you know, you got John Sims is retiring. That's a, that's a that's a good district for Republican. Rick Rand's retiring. That's a good district for, for Republican mm -hmm. in, a, in a vacuum. Same with Wilson Stone. Uh, you know, with redistricting, I, I look at the map. I don't think you can start taking care of the House map. I think move number one has to be combining uh, Chris Harris and Angie Hatton's district. It's just, it's the population in, in the Southeast, if that's got to be done, you probably have to uh, make the, the 100th district a little bit more Republican in, in, in redistricting. So, it, you know, both through uh, redistricting and th retirements and, and potential uh, elections, you know, the Democratic Party is, is there, there's a strong likelihood that come 2022, uh, there are no Democrats outside of Louisville, Lexington, Northern Kentucky, and, and downtown Bowling Green. You know, what is a, is a, is a leader in the party, kind of what do you feel like both policy, you know, structurally, candidate recruiting, you know, what do you think the Democrat Party has to do to, to bust outside of that kind of narrow, narrow path that they're in right now? You know, one, it starts with candidates, right? We have to get good people to run. A lot of the, the people you, you just mentioned, um, you know, Rick Rand can't be beaten his district. No. Uh, when he retires, there's a chance that a Republican could win. Uh, I don't know much about that race, so <clears throat> I don't know who's running on the Democratic side. I don't even know who's running on the Republican side. It's, it's, just it's because a good it's, district. It's a House a race. That, that, uh, yeah, it's, I, I, so I know nothing about the candidates. I just want to be clear on that. Um, I haven't paid a lot of attention to the, the state House races all across the board. But, um, no, you're seeing this across the state. You're seeing this across the country where there is increasingly an urban-rural divide, even within the Republican Party. Uh, your your more urban Republicans are looking different than some of your rural Republicans. I think that the Democrats showed we can still win. Uh, and I said this line publicly at the Chamber of Commerce dinner uh, after Andy won the governor's race in November. It was a little bit like Monty Python. You know, we're not dead yet. Um, so so don't go ahead and write the obituary. Uh, we did show that we can we can win, and he won on a message of. You know, jobs, healthcare, and public education, which I think well, is a and, good and not, message not for Democrats to have. The strongest case. Well, of course, that that, <laughs> that 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 helped. Um, no question, that helped. Uh, but you know, I'll also take you to the 2018 election, and I I had some hope from the 2018 election, and I'm looking at this from the Senate side. The Republicans, uh, there are 19 senators up every year, right? The Republicans had 16 Republicans on the ballot. The Democrats didn't win a single seat, and the Republicans actually took one of the Democratic seats from the Senate. So you're saying, how in the world did you get hope from that? Um, and what you would just view by those numbers as a whooping 
Democrats actually got about 46% of the vote statewide in the state Senate elections. And we came really close in a lot of districts with a significant fundraising disadvantage against popular incumbents. And so what I saw on the state level, you get into some of this gerrymandering, but when you look at what's happening in, you mentioned the urban areas, but I would, I would broaden the urban areas to the Henderson-Owensboro area, the Paducah area, the Bowling Green area, um, Louisville, Lexington, Northern Kentucky. I mean, despite Matt Bevan and his flaws as a candidate, which we all know now, never in a million years did I think Andy Bashir was going to win Campbell County. Uh, that is, in my opinion, part of the Republican rock in this state, and you're seeing it transform a little bit. So as you mentioned, as the, as the rural parts of Kentucky, and just speaking factually, not partisan, as the rural parts of Kentucky are losing population, you're going to see seats combined. You're going to see some seats coming to urban areas. And those are areas, particularly in the suburbs, that we are seeing vote more Democratic. Um, so I think, you know, 2020 uh, will we'll obviously fight and will be competitive in certain areas. A lot is going to depend in 2020 on what happens nationally. And so we're going to be watching the Trump campaign, obviously, and the McGrath-McConnell race here to see what happens. Uh, but in 2022, when we come back, you know, there's going to be a census and there's going to be a redrawing of districts. And I, I think there's a chance to begin building back. We're not going to take it back in a day. Um, but I think we have to, in Kentucky, stay focused uh, on a good economic message that can resonate throughout the state. We have to get good candidates. Um, that's the number one thing. And we've got to do a, a better job of raising some money. Um, you know, people talk about money in campaigns. I don't like money in campaigns. I'd like to see some campaign finance reform. Uh, but no matter what you think is the most important thing in a campaign, it oftentimes costs money. Even if it's just printing off the walk cards for volunteers to go knock on doors, that, that takes money and resources. So I think we can start to build and, um, uh, you know, I think you can see us particularly having a popular governor uh, start to lay a foundation to build back. I think redistricting will be interesting because people forget these House lines were drawn by House Democrats specifically to protect Democrat right. You know, you remember Scott's the the Scott County was carved up into I think four different districts to try to get rid of Ryan Quarles. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> so the, it, that'll be interesting to see how that how that uh, that plays out, and especially when you factor in the lost population in East Kentucky. Like I said, I've, I've looked at the maps. There's no way you can start drawing any any part of the map until you combine uh the, the, that hat and harris district that's just it makes the most logical sense to start the map in that in that corner with the way the population is has drawn it, it'll be very interesting to yeah. see where the state ends up at uh map wise after after redistricting process which will also be the first process in, in state history where republicans control it all well and, and you're, you're exactly right um which brings me to one point, and I say this, I would say this if the Democrats had a super duper majority in both houses, I would like to see us have a nonpartisan redistricting. Um, to your point, one of the things that I bring up is, you know, one of the scary statistics if you're a Democrat in Kentucky is that the Republicans have a super majority in districts drawn by Greg Stumbo and Rocky Atkins. Um, but I do think a lot of those districts were drawn for people. Yes. 
100%. Maybe even more than, maybe even more than party. And yeah. so, yeah, it's, it's really going to be interesting to see how some of those come together. Um, and, you know, and I'm not saying, again, it's going to happen overnight or we're going to take back seats, but you look at some of these trends and races are getting closer. And we, you mentioned an urban area that, again, if you told me, Trey, if you and I had bet the day of the election, I'll go so far as to say if we had bet at 5.30 at night, 30 minutes before the polls close on election, whether Matt Bevan or Andy Bashir was going to win Scott County, I'd have lost. Yeah. Right? You know, so, I mean, again, these are, these are counties that, yeah, I know that Matt Bevan had flaws, but well, I think there was – When you look at the underlying numbers of the down-ticket candidates, though, be, that becomes a harder case to make. You know, I mean – Ryan Corals, I think, won 118 counties or 117 counties. You know, Allison Ball won like 110. Uh, you know, Mike Adams. Sure, but, but I, I mean, Mike I, Adams. Yeah, I mean, that was the, the huge surprise. Senator, I got to kind of follow up to but, in that vein. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there about the Department of Education and the reorg there. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, would you, or just generally speaking, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but generally speaking, I mean, sure. would you favor more? apportionment in the, the really the prominent boards out there between the two parties, um, you know, to try to kind of like what you see on the state board of elections, maybe the as univers- an example. The university boards. Yeah. And, and, but I'll, I'll be consistent on this point. Um, I opposed what governor Bevan did to the Kentucky department of education. And I thought it should, I, I don't think a governor should have the power to blow up that board. Um, governor Bashir fought on that point and lost. Supreme Court said, no, the governors have the power to blow up that board. I'm, I tolerate the fact that Governor Bashir did it because every day for two and a half months after he lost in the Supreme Court, he said, well, if a governor has this power, I'll do it on day one if you elect me. And then he did exactly what he said he was going to do in a campaign, um, which is, is more tolerable. But no, I, I think that it's a good thing for a board like that in particular. I'm not going to say every board needs to be like that, but a board like that, Kentucky Board of Education, I think it is good to have um, diversity, and diversity can be political party, diversity can be race, diversity can be uh, gender, but I think it is good to have some type of structure on that board and also have it so that there's some continuity on that board as well, Um, so that you're not just every time you get a governor, you're going to get a whole new board. Yeah, I I totally agree, and you know, I I said with uh, Senator Thayer was on last week. I said, you know, as a Republican who sends his kids to, to public school, I don't have any on anybody on that board that I feel like represents my my views, and I'm not the only parent out there who's like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and and look, and and I say I say that, I of course I felt the same way. Uh, Someone sends my kid to public school. I felt the, the very same way under the previous board, um, and that's why I think it's it's good to have it's good to have a difference of opinion on this, right? I mean. Education is always one of those issues that I thought should have more bipartisan support than it does. Because at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. We want the kids in Kentucky to get the best education they can. And so I think if you can get a board that has some differences of opinion, but are coming from that spot, people who care about education, who care about kids getting the best education they can, then sometimes having a difference of opinion on a board like that really is a good thing. Consensus is good for for policy making. Uh, Senator, mm-hmm. I think we'll, we'll. I know you've got a busy day, a lot of lot to do at the Capitol, so we'll get you out of here on that note. Uh, we re- really appreciate you uh, being on. Hope hope you do it sometime again in the future. Absolutely appreciate you guys having me. Stay safe. 
stay healthy, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, uh, Senator. And uh, remember, to give us a listen uh, on uh, on Google uh, Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. If you uh, if you get us on Apple Podcasts, please make sure to give us a review. And uh, we'll be back next Tuesday with uh, with Leland Conway. Should be should be a fun discussion. Uh, we'll see you next week on Kentucky Politics Weekly.